What's up with that? Nine o'clock crowd, we got less people, and they were like jumping the aisles. I thought, man, what denominational church are we in? I don't know. How y'all doing? All right, very good. Everybody that has a web-enabled phone, take it out and flash it to me. All right, very good. I need you to keep those out. If you don't have version, you need to download that because today in our live section, we have tons of interactive stuff that we're going to be talking about today. A lot of resources that you can click on and go to other things, and it's going to be really, really fun. Today, we're talking about one of the things I hate talking about most, and we're talking about moolah. We're talking about money. We're in a homewrecker series. And we're on week four, and I gotta be honest with you, the re- I don't want to talk about it because so many times the reason why people don't, don't, like, don't go to church is because it seems like all they talk about is money. But here's the gig. By the way, I'm, I'm accompanied as always by my lovely wife, Kim. Can y'all say hello to her? Morning. So, um, anyway, I don't like talking about it, but I, I need to talk about it for two reasons. The first reason is that Jesus talked more about money than heaven or hell or prayer or getting saved or anything like that combined. So if we're going to be a church that that stands on God's word and handles God's word correctly, we're going to have to talk about money. But here's the second reason, and this is really the, 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 the heart of this series. We have to talk about money because, and y'all know this statistic, 50% of all marriages end in divorce, right? We've heard that, all right? Did you know that 50% of all the marriages that end in divorce, the reason why they ended in divorce, 50% of them, was because they fought about what? Money. How many of y'all have ever had a fight with your spouse about money? All right. If y'all haven't, I need to be a part of y'all's home. Because I'll be honest with you, one of the things we're going to talk about, of all the things, this is the one that Kim and I have fought the most about. We're not perfect. One of the things we're going to share with you is um, there's a lot of things that we're not, we don't do a good job at, and we're still learning through. So I hope as we kind of talk about from the Bible how we struggled through this, I hope you will be able to hear that we're not perfect in this, that we're just like you guys, we're growing. All right, let me give you some more statistics. All right, did you know that 43% of all couples never talk about money before they get married? Isn't that kind of crazy? 72% of all couples are living paycheck to paycheck. 24% of all couples are actually behind on their payments, which leaves only 3% of couples feel like that they're doing well financially. That is kind of jacked up. Here's a graphic that's going to be on the screen. Couples who reported disagreeing about finances once a week are over 30% more likely to get divorced than couples who, who actually don't fight. Now, this is interesting because this graphic, the more... You fought about money, that's the higher the divorce rate, all right? It is amazing the correlation between husbands and wives and just fighting about money. The more you fight about money, the more apt you are to get a divorce. That's huge. Now, again, how many of y'all have ever done something stupid with your money? I know I have, all right? I remember when I was a college student here in Austin P. I I went and bought uh, some Kenwood speakers from a pawn shop for $500. I, I took me 10 years to pay off. Praise Jesus, all right? I don't know if anybody else did that, all right? We've all done stupid stuff with our money. Let me give you a couple of stupid things that we do that we have to pay stupid tax on, all right? Let me give you one. And some of you may have done this. I'm not asking you to raise your hands, all right? The first one is this. Have you ever been short on cash and went to a payday loan place? Don't raise your hand, all right? I, I got a contract from one of these places here in Clarksville this week, all right? Let me give you this. If you borrow $300... Three hundred dollars. The annual percentage rate is seven hundred and eighty-two point fourteen percent interest. 
Now, is that a bad or a good money decision? Bad, right? Bad. We're not talking 10%. We're not talking, we're not talking 20, 782.14% interest. That means if you borrow $300 and it takes you a year to pay it back, you have to pay back the $300 that you borrowed and you're going to pay $1,200 in interest. That is a Greek word called jacked up. All right? Let me give you another one. Another stupid thing that we do with money, we borrow your way out of debt. Never works. All right? It doesn't work because those solutions don't really attack, attack the, 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 the core of it. It just manages symptoms. You've got to address the root cause of why you spend. All right? and what about this one? I, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say something I need you to repeat after me. Because right? we've got to learn this. You can't finance happiness. Say that. You can't finance happiness. Do we believe that? Because I don't think we do. I think, and I've lived my life like that, guys, where I could be happy if I could just have fill in the blank. If I could just own fill in the blank. That's what we're going to be talking about today. If we could believe that as Americans, really, we would be much better off. Psalms 49.20 says this. A man who has riches without understanding is like giving a MasterCard to a dog, right? It's like the beast that perished. It's like giving cash to a goat. What is a goat going to do with cash? Eat it. When I was a kid, I had 20 goats because I live in Tennessee. Those were my pets, right? All right? And just saying. Many people, we believe the solution to our problems is getting more money. But only if you understand how money works. Because many of us, when you, if you get more money, what do you do? We spend more money, right? Because sometimes more money ain't the answer. Money is a blessing. Did you know that? The Bible says that one of the things, and this is Old Testament talking about Israel. He says, you know what? If you listen and then you obey, then you're not going to go into debt. You're going to be blessed financially. This is huge. Did you know the Bible doesn't say that money is evil? In fact, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil, but it doesn't say money is evil. In fact, God's word says in the book of Psalms that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. So today, we're going to look at five things that Kim and I have struggled with in our marriage and things that we've kind of butted heads about. And you're going to see us interact probably in a way that you haven't seen us interact before. We still love each other, but I'll tell you, we've been married 19 years. Some of y'all need to be clapping because this woman... She, she has endured a lot in 19 years, and you don't need to say amen, baby. Um, but uh, I tell you, our first year of marriage was hell. And it was mainly hell because I was an idiot, and I was an idiot with money. So let me give you some five things that I can kind of show you what we have learned about money. And this, when you get married, so did your money. When you get married, so did your money. Now, let me tell you, the, the five things we're going to be sharing with you today, we're going to give you five practical applications that you can be able to get your arms around and wrestle with. And let me tell you, the thing I would encourage you to do is you need to have a joint account. I say that because I deal with a lot of people, who, and, and I do a lot of counseling uh, during the week, and, and, and who haven't figured this out yet, that married money... All right, when you got married, so did your money. That's huge. Because I have guys, you know, that's just my money. And if I wanted to buy anything with my money, then I can do something because I'm earning my money and she can't have my money. Now, if, you, if that's your attitude, you know what you need to do? Stay single. I'm serious. And ladies, if you're dating a guy who has that attitude, there is a better fish out there. All right? Because he's, he's stinky. I'm just saying when you get married, so did your money. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says it like this. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That's two becoming one. How many of y'all enjoy that? I'm just saying. All right. All right. We like that. But it's talking about flesh. It's talking about being intimate, but it goes even way beyond that. It's talking about if you become one intimately, guess what? That means you and your money became one. That's huge. And they will become one flesh. Now look at this next verse, because this next verse really was the secret of me being an idiot the first year of our marriage. All right. Says this, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now this 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 verse describes our first year of marriage, and not the way you think. All right, I'm just saying, because there was a lot of things I kept from my wife when it when it comes to. I, I had this idea that if I spent under twenty dollars, I really wasn't spending money. Okay, so I could go and my vice. I got a few of them, but one of them is buying books. All right. Um, like Lifeway Christian Book, I don't go in that place. That's like a drug dealer going into Walgreens. It's not a good place for me. Not a good place. I used to go to this place called Half Price Books, and I could buy four or five books. As long as it's under 20, I'm good. My wife would come home, you know, I'd come home, is everything all right today? And she'd check the account. How come we got $2 in the bank? Oh, no. All right. Well, it says half price books, and I could spend as long as it's under 20 in three different places 20 here, 20 here, 20. I'm still under 20. I'm good. Right. And it made for a lot of complex in our marriage, didn't it? Mm-hmm. It really did. Because I thought this, it's still mine and hers. But that's not, you can't keep secrets. And that, and that leads me to our big idea today. We teach one point sermons here, all right? And this is the thing if you forget everything else, I want you to just drive home on this one. This is it. Every money decision in your marriage is a, say it, we we decision, not a, that's huge. Every money decision in your marriage is a we decision, it's not a me decision. That means, guys, if you're bringing home the paycheck and you want to go get a, and you fill in the blank, all right, you need to talk it over with your wife because every money decision in a relationship is a we decision, not a me decision. That's good. Somebody needs to Twitter that. I'm just saying. Really, really good. Money in the hands of a person who doesn't know how to use it, you know what that's called? It's called a curse. It's called a curse. All right? I'll leave it over to you. Tag team. Tag team. There Bye. you go. Morning, y'all. How you doing? Good. Good. Great to see you all this morning. Love this subject of money. Um, point number two that we want to talk about today is that married money minds its own business. Married money minds its own business. So let's take that apart just a little bit. If I were to come up to one of you and say, hey, what do you make? What would you say to me? It's none of your business. That's exactly right. In our marriages, however, that can be one of the things that we've talked about that leads to that drifting apart and isolation. If I consider the work that I do and the money that I make at Mary's Music Store to be all mine, and Chris considers the money that he receives from one church to be all of his, you can see right there that we're setting ourselves up for building a dividing wall between us. So just as he was saying before that you want to have that joint account type of mentality, that we come together and what we have is ours. Now another example of that would be our children. Now, um, when, when we had those children, we did that together, right? Yes, Lord. Okay. Anyway, 
But I will say that when one of the three Edmondson boys steps across the line of disobedience, those are his children. Because I am perfect. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but just that idea of, you know, our family is ours. We all live together in our home. We all eat dinner together at our table. And so that idea of if we want our family to be strong, if we want our marriage to be strong, we've got to watch out for that idea of this is mine and this is yours. Mm. So there are some questions that we can ask in order to be able to help us determine where is our mindset when our money is concerned. So I want to take a look at those. So the questions that we need to ask are, number one, you must know what you own. We must know, what do we own? And number two, we must know what we owe. So what do we own and what do we owe? Number three, we must know what we earn. And number four, we must know where it goes. Now, I'm, I'm sure that sitting here, some of us could kind of be like, well, you know, I think I make about this much, and maybe some of it here and some of there, but then, you know, there's coffee every morning, and then there's lunches, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And that idea of not being quite sure of where things end up automatically gives us a foundation that's a little bit shaky. Once again, if we think about our kids, um, if we want to think about, well, I, I, I know I had them. I'm not sure where they are right now. <laughs> They're alive, maybe. Um, we, we, we want to know where our children are. They're part of our lives. They're important to us. Our finances should be the same way. So we want to encourage you to maybe say, take some time and sit down with your spouse and really start to look at that. What is it that we own? What do we owe? How much do we earn? And where does it go? There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 27 that says, Be sure that you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever. A crown is not secure for all generations. In case you're not getting the, the drift of it there, money is fleeting. When you put $1,000 in your account, does it just stay there for all eternity? Absolutely not. Man, that stuff goes through our fingers like crazy. So in order for us to be good stewards of that, we've got to pay attention to what we have. So take some time, sit down with your spouse and ask yourself those questions. The word that may come to mind as you begin to work through that project process is a, is a B word, but, but, budget. Yeah, some of us have a hard time saying that. So, um, you know, sometimes when we think of a budget, we think, oh, that's just prison. You know, I just, I can't have any fun when I'm on a budget. Um, and, and it's true. You know, sometimes that um, the way that we approach that word can even be a bit divisive. For example, Chris is a spender. He loves to party, loves to have fun with his money. I tend to be a little bit more of a saver. You know, I'm the girl that when it's 115 degrees outside in the summer, if you're riding with me in my car, we will not have the air conditioner on. The windows will be down, but if we use the air conditioner, it's going to suck gas out of the tank, and then I'm going to have to go spend money to put gas in there. So, you know, bring a fan, okay? And we'll just have a good time together. So anyway, so the way that we even approach the idea of a budget, we have to watch out for that because if I come with my very frugal, sometimes um, awful ways of I don't want to spend anything, and Chris comes and is like, what? Body time, and we try to put that together, we can automatically be in that war together. So give yourself a little bit of room there as you sit down to discuss it. Don't think that your way is the only way, but really seek to find out what resources do we have and how do we use those together. That's good. I mean, you, you, I want to start to interrupt, but it's, it's a dialogue. 
You know, you have to dialogue through this. And something you said first service that you've not said, and I don't know if you're going to, but what we've been talking about and up to this point in this entire series is this natural drift, right? Natural drift. We kind of, what God's, we put, we, God put together us together, and then we can start having this natural drift. And that's what happens with our money. That's the reason why you have to have that dialogue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, next point we're going to go to. Married money pays its debts. Married money pays its debts. Now, I mentioned in the first service, I have a dear friend who is in the first service. She is the, um, she is the flow chart queen when it comes to her money. Every penny is accounted for on a chart, in a budget, on her computer. Every, if, I mean, if she buys a piece of bubble gum out of a machine, it's going to be documented. Um, you know, they, they, she, she pays everything with cash. There's no debt there. Everything's paid for. And, and I have, please hear me, great admiration for her. I mean, that is definitely something that God has gifted her in. And she is able to give freely to a lot of things because of the way that she manages her money. But there are some of us that aren't quite in that situation. There are some of us that have a house payment. We have a car payment. We have student loans. We have medical bills. Whatever that looks like. What we want to talk about is manage your debt wisely. You know, one of the things that I've had to set up as a boundary in my life to be, to be ordered to, excuse me, to be able to help keep me away from debt and unnecessary spending is I know I've mentioned to this, uh, this to you guys before, I, I don't look at magazines. I cannot have a Pottery Barn magazine in my house. You know, our culture tells us that we need certain things. You know, you get that Pottery Barn magazine. Man, the way they arrange those things, I'm like, wow, that is incredible. (laughs) I so want that. I so need that. And it creates that longing in us for things, number one, that we may not need, number two, that we can't afford. But in me, what it causes me to do is think, well, you know, if if I got rid of these things or maybe I could raise a little extra money and I might be able to get that, but I still don't have quite enough money to be able to get it, and so then I have to borrow. No. I don't need that. I don't need to be in that place. That is not a good place for me. For some of us, you know, if we go to Target, you know how the, the end caps at Target have all the sale stuff on them? You know, just because it's on sale doesn't mean we have to buy it. Just because it's a good price doesn't mean we have to have it. So we have to set up boundaries in our lives that help keep us out of that area of debt. If you know it's an issue for you, stay away from it. If you have debt, be faithful to pay it. Romans 13, verse 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled this law. If you want to be in debt to someone, make it a debt of love. But when it comes to our personal finances, watch out. Mm -hmm. Manage your debt wisely. That is an area where Chris and I have spent a lot of time, me saying, okay, If we don't buy any clothes for a year, I know the children will grow. We'll just squeeze them in there a little bit tighter. It'll be okay. If we don't buy any clothes, and maybe if we just eat, you know, cereal. And, uh, you know, if we don't do whatever, you know, we could pay this thing off, or we could do this or that. You have to be practical in the way that you approach it, but just be sure that you watch out for debt and manage it wisely. The fourth thing is married money loves our spouse over stuff. Now... If, if I were to ask you the question, do you love your husband or wife more than you love your things, most of you would say, yeah, sure I do. But let me tell you where we have a tendency to hit a brick wall on this. As many times in marriage, we set a crazy pace in our lives 
so that we can get more money, so that we can pay for the stuff we've already purchased on credit. And we, we do all of this stuff so that we can't spend any time with our spouse. And because we're paying for more toys. We're always in a hurry. Again, I've, I've been around people like that that like are moving at Mach 2 with their hair on fire. Right? Eventually, if you live your life like that, eventually you're going to hit a wall. And you're going to hit a wall physically, you're going to hit a wall spiritually, you're definitely going to hit a wall relationally with other people, but especially your spouse. We work at such a frantic pace that we just can't slow down and enjoy our spouse. I mean, think about it. When you were married, you were, you were so broke, you couldn't afford to pay attention, right? But y'all had love, right? You were eating ramen noodles, but you liked each other. Right now you're eating steak and you can't stand one another. What's changed? Well, what's changed is you've spent all of your time getting more money, more money, more money, more money, more money that you're spending 70, 80 hours a week doing that. And you don't have any time to be able to bring your, your wife close to you, your husband close to you, because that is what drew you there in the first place. Huge. You know, we live in such a beautiful world. Two weeks ago when I was driving uh, back from Dallas, man, I, you know, I, I've already told you guys, I'm kind of a speeder, but I, I've, I've, I have cruise control, so I set it on 77 because I love Jesus. And um, I'm just saying, and I had the moon, my sunroof out, and it was just pitch black. There was nobody around me, and I just saw just tons of stars. You know, I'm driving 77 going like this. I was just so amazed, and I thought of that, that Psalm 19 passage, you know, that I read earlier to you guys. In fact, I, I, for like two seconds, I turned off my headlights just so I could see the stars, and I turned them, flicked them right back on. You know, but, and one of the things, I, I have a tendency to move so fast down the interstate that I don't see the beauty. Just don't see it. Some of you, you're moving so fast through life, you don't see the beauty of your spouse. You, you don't have any time that you can go out and take them on a date because you're working, paying off the toys that you already have, and you don't even like one another anymore. And you, you, you got a great house, but you don't have a home. That's huge, huge. And it's the same way with our relationship with God. Some of us, God is so beautiful. But when we, when we keep on, if we don't slow down, our intimacy dies. In fact, this is worth the price of whatever you're going to put in the offering bucket later. Only when we slow down to see beauty can we experience true intimacy. You hear what I'm saying? You can't experience true intimacy with your spouse if you're just going, 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 going. You can't experience true intimacy with your God if you're just going, 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 going. That's huge. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And the uh, last point for today is point five, and this is where we're going to camp out the longest, is that married money puts God first. Married money puts God first. Um, you know, we could apply this principle in so many areas of our lives and of our marriage that when we put God first, the other things in our lives seem to fall into place a bit more easily. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, this verse that we're going to read talks about the priority of what we do. And that's really what we want to spend the next few minutes camping out on is getting our priorities straight when it comes to, number one, our relationship with God, number two, our marriage relationship, number three, our money. And the verse says this, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. You know, that's just practical application right there. Saying, take a look at what you've got, 
figure out what's coming this week, set that aside, you know you're good to go for that, then you can concentrate on other things. You know, so much of what happens with our money is that we get distracted. Mm. You know, we could say the same thing about our jobs. Our jobs get busy, we get distracted from our spouse. We have children in our lives, things get going with our kids, we get distracted from our spouse. Money gets tight, we're distracted. Too much money, too much to do, we're distracted. We must set the priority as God has set it for our families, for our, wife, for our lives, for our marriages, so that we will not be easily distracted. So I want to take a look at what is the order in which we usually, once we receive our money, what's the way that we usually hash through it, okay? Let's take a look at that. Number one would be spend it. We get our money, we spend it. Number two, we're going to pay the bills, okay? So let's do that. So we, go to, so we go to Walmart, we buy the groceries, then we come home, we pay the bills. Number three, well, there's taxes that come out of that, so we're paying our taxes. Number four, better put a little of that away for a rainy day, save a little bit of it. Number five, oh, yeah, supposed to give some of that to God. So if we break it down a little bit further in the order of how we're using that money, number one is me, spending it on me. Number two, I'm paying bills. Well, that's still really about me. You know, God didn't incur that debt for me. I did. So number two is still me. Number three, taxes. Well, that's country. My country, tis of thee. Uh, Sweet land of liberty. Thank you. Uh, Number four, we're saving. So once again, that's still me. That's focused on what I'm doing. And then number five, we're going to give it to God. Now, just just go with me here for a minute. As we're looking at the list, does it, does it look kind of odd to you? Well, what do you see that might be wrong with the list there? A whole lot of me going on. That's the good. me monster. I know some of you may know that. Who does that? I have no idea. The comedian. Me monster? Isn't that somebody funny that you talk about? Okay, anyway. Man, I thought I had a good one there. Sorry, my bad. Okay, anyway. um, So, yes, a whole lot of me going on. And then a whole little bit of God going on. Mm. So I think what we need to do is look at flipping the list. Instead of looking at me, 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 country, me, God, whatever, me, 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 me. Let's look at turning that around. And so number one becomes that I want to give to God first. I want to give to God out of the first fruits of my life, out of the things that he gives me first. Second of all, then I want to save it. So I'm going to take a portion of it, I'm going to give it to God. The next portion I'm going to save. Then out come the taxes. Then the rest of that is what I have to live on. The way we prioritize our personal finances represents either an invitation for God to come and work in our lives, or it represents us focusing on ourselves and canceling out what he may want to do, number one, through us for someone else, and number two, to do in us in someone else's life. Have you ever had the opportunity where you've had some extra and you've been able just to give that as a blessing to someone else? I mean, that is a great feeling. When you know that someone has a need and God lays it on your heart, yeah, I've given extra to you so that you can give to them. It is a great feeling to be able to honor God and give to others in that way. But if we constantly have our eyes on ourselves, if it's constantly me, 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 and then God, we deprive ourselves of that opportunity. So pay attention to your priorities. Put God first in your finances. You know, when Chris and I finally got to the place in our marriage where we were able to do that, because this is something we battled with for a long time, 
when we were able to get to the point where God came first, all that arguing about money that we did in the first years of our marriage, I mean, it's just, it's just hardly there anymore. You know, it's just, it's just non-existent almost. Because what we said was, you know, we want to be obedient to what God has asked us to do. And so when we give to him first, then all those other things that we tend to worry about and bicker about and, and try to say, well, is there going to be something left for me? That just changes the way that we see all of it. And so our relationship has become better as a result of honoring God with what he's given to us. And I, Kim, I just want to reiterate what she says. For the first 15 years of our marriage, 14, 15 years, we struggled with tithing. You're never, ever going to hear a preacher probably say that. All right, but we did. And one of the things we just thought, man, if we had more money, then we could start giving. And I'm telling you, and some of you, you may be believing that lie as well, and that is exactly what it is. So for the rest of the day, I'm, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, and this is what Jesus says. All right, This ain't Chris speaking, this is Jesus, this is red letter stuff. It says, no one can serve two masters. In other words, there's only none, one, one number one. You remember that list? All right, spend it, me, right, uh, pay debt, me, you know, all the me, 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 all right? So there's only going to be one number one. It's either going to be God or me. For you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. God says, you know, I'm either going to be number one on the list, or you're going to be number one on the list. But then he even makes it more specific. Listen to this. You cannot serve both God and what? Now, here can you, this is interesting. Did you know the biggest competition in your life isn't between God and the devil? That's not the biggest competition in your life. The biggest competition in my life and in your life is between God and money. That's it. God says, look, either you're going to be at the top of the list as it relates to personal finances, or you're going to put me at the top of the list. And isn't that, isn't that the way it kind of looks? It's either, okay, man, we, I want to serve God, I want to pray God, I want to give to God. But then if we wait to the very end to give, there's never enough money at the end of our month. Right. Anybody else like that? I mean, I, we have great intentions. We did for 15 years. Man, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Right? That was pretty unattractive. Just saying. Right? I just did it twice. Um, it, we had great intentions, and then, but we waited. And, and as a result of that, one of the things that we shared in first service, when we were actually in seminary, in Dallas, Texas, in seminary, you know, one of the things that we were faced with there was that was a very materialistic area. Um, you go there, and there's just, you know, all these huge houses and fancy mm. cars. And I remember the first time that I went to the mall there. It's mm. not even called a mall, y'all. Seriously, it's called North Park Center. And we went into North Park Center, and there's a string quartet in the food court playing some, you know, classical music. I'm like, who's ever heard of this? I mean, just the mall itself. You know, we've got like Dillard's and Penny's and Sears. Their end cap stores are like Neiman Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue and Lord and Taylor. You know, walked in, there's this little sale bin of scarves, and I picked one up, I and it had been, been reduced to $547. No lie. I'm not kidding, y'all. A scarf. Like, some people would blow their nose in it because they thought it was a handkerchief. You know, $547. And so, for me, in that situation, I began to feel this pressure of, 
oh, if I, if I want to be cool, if I want to fit in, if I want to, you know, if, if this is the area that we live in, I just began to feel this pressure of this is what I need to have. This is what I need to look like. This is what I need to do. And when we feel that pressure, whether spoken or unspoken, we begin to turn our attention away from what is that priority and what is it that God has called us to do because of what the world and that pressure that we feel there. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 31 of Matthew 6. It says, so don't worry about these things. How many of y'all have ever worried about money or bills or anything? Anybody? Man, I've been there, guys. I've totally been there. I'm just like you. I put on, I was going to say my suit, but I put on my shorts just like y'all put on y'all shorts. I put on my flippy floppies just like y'all put on y'all's flippy floppies, all right? I, 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 we worry. And anytime we have a tendency to get our, when we, when we put ourselves at the top, instead of putting God at the top of us, we have a tendency to worry. When we start looking at what other people have, kind of like what we were doing in Dallas, and man, all these people, and we feel this pressure, we start worrying. But it says, don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? In fact, let's turn the W upside down. What will me drink? What will me eat? And what will me wear? Because this is the me monster. This is me, 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 America, me, God. But what we need to do, and, and because that's how we spent our money for the longest time, is we have to go like this. There's something about God's w- world order that, you know what, the normal thing to do, and a lot of times he turns it upside down. He turns it upside down. That's huge. All right, I'm going to keep on going. Matthew 6.32 says this. These things dominate the thoughts of uh, unbelievers, people who don't even believe about God, who don't even prioritize their life that way, but your heavenly Father knows all of your needs. Did you, you know that? Your heavenly Father knows all of your needs. He knows it. And here's a verse I'm getting ready to read that you've read a thousand times. It's been on t-shirts. It's been on little coffee cups. It's been on, but hear me, everything, this, this next verse, it applies to money. But seek first. Everybody say first. first. But seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all of these things, other things will be added or given to you. And this isn't Chris talking. This is a promise that Jesus makes to you and I. In other words, Jesus saying, what he's saying is this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn how you spend your money upside down. I want you to prioritize God first. Because married money prioritizes God first. It's about reprioritizing. Here's what, I've done this before. I want to give you two systems of how this has helped Kim and I. Because we've not, I'm telling you, we struggle through this as well. The system that's helped us with the giving part, when it comes to the tithing part, is something we do called e-give, and it's electronic giving. And uh, w- before you leave this room, there's these red tables that uh, actually um, that people has financial stuff about it, but it, you can take one of those sheets, and it will show you how to sign up for e-give. This is what we did. We signed up. The church doesn't know our password, our username. We sign up. We tell it tell how much money to take out of our account, when and where, and we can stop it at any time. And what's so cool is that I've, I've not owned a checkbook in how long? Over a decade. It, it's been maybe 12, 13 years, all right, um, for a couple of reasons. But anyway, all right, I'm just saying, all right. But we don't, we don't carry checks anymore, hardly ever. So it just, right when we get paid, it automatically comes in our account, and we don't even see it. It's like we're going to give God first. And I'm telling you, if you wait, 
You can have great intentions, but wait to the end of the month, and it won't be there. It's huge. The second system is this. Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. All right? I got this. This is not a preacher letter. I got this letter this past week. All right? Here it is. Don't know who it's from. It just says, thank you. And I'm going to open it up, and I want to read it to you. Um, it says this. Um, I've been listening online to your sermons, and I'm trying the 101080. Thank you for providing the online services. I hope many people have tried the 101080, and I honestly hope it helps one church. And they gave their portion. I have no idea who this is. Let me explain what the 101080 is, all right? It, it, it's simply this. If you have $10... What you do immediately is the first dollar you give to God, all right? You give God first, not at the end of the month, but at the very beginning. So first dollar's God, that's give, all right? Second dollar you take is the save dollar. You put that in a savings account. You don't touch it, okay? And then the rest, rest of the eight is what? Live on the rest. Give, save, Live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. Now, that is really easy when you only have $10, isn't it? It's easy to say, I'll give God a dollar. I'll, I'll give God, what is a dollar? I'll give him a Washington, right? That's yours. The problem is, is when we start giving Franklin's, right? Benjamin's. Uh, because it's easy, but all of it is percentage. That really is it. That's huge. So give, save, live on the rest. And, and Kim, you say this, and then I'm going to close. I mean, we didn't start out with 10%. I mean, that's what we're giving now. But what, what did we do? Because some people maybe think, that's just that's too much. Well, uh, we talked about in first service, had a question come in that said, you know, well, what if, what if I can't do the 10% or whatever was kind of the idea behind the question. And, you know, Chris and I have faced that. And if you sit down and go through the questions about, you know, what do I own, what do I owe, what do I earn, and where does it go? And maybe there are some limitations there. You know, maybe practically for you to be able to start at a 10%, which is just a guideline that's set up in Scripture, maybe that's not exactly where you are. Um, maybe it's more feasible for you to give 3% or a certain dollar amount. Then start where you are. Um, you know, our, our obedience is really important to the Lord. That's right. And I know that for me personally, and I, I really want to own what I'm saying here, for me personally, part of what I spent my time worrying about for all the years that we dealt with, you know, do we tithe, do we have enough money to tithe, how much do we give to the tithe, blah, 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 blah. So part of that was just me wrestling with being obedient to God. And sometimes you just have to step out in obedience. The Lord cares more about my heart now, and hear me, this is what he taught me. The Lord cares more about the condition of my heart and the fact that I'm being obedient. So the amount wasn't 10%. So it was 3%. But because I came and I gave it cheerfully and out of obedience, then God showed his faithfulness to me. And so that's what I want to say to you today. Don't get caught up in the trap of legalism and worrying about, oh, well, I can't do it this certain way. So if I can't do it that way, then God's not going to be pleased with it at all. No, that's not right. Start where you are and be obedient with what you have, and then God will show his faithfulness to you. Now, our giving is an act of worship. That is very true. And as we are, are obedient, I think that God leads us to that place where our giving is part of the worship that we give to him. 
But start where you are. Try not to get caught in guilt and condemnation. Be obedient. And let me tell you, I'm going to close with this, and then we're going to answer some questions. Uh, I, we're at a crossroads at our church, all right? I'll tell you, when we launched one church four and a half years ago, um, we had three staff people, three paid staff people. And we launched on September the 9th of 2007 with 202 people, all right? Now, since then, one church has continued to grow. It's grown and grown and grow. In fact, there's a guy by the name of Carl George. He's a church growth expert. And he says, for every 100 people you have, you need to have a full-time staff person. Well, let me tell you where we're at. Right now, since January, one church has been at 700, 800, 900. We even hit over 1,000 on Easter, praise God. We have two full-time staff people. So just, if you just do the math, we got like 400 people for every one full-time staff. Now, what's happened is God, you know, people continue to come, and, they, and, and we see that. But one of the things, we're at a crossroads, and Kim was talking about us personally, you know, we're going to have to trust God, and we're just going to start tithing, and we're going to have to, God's going to have to prove his faithfulness to us. One of the places we're at as a church is um, we have to bring on more staff. We, we have to. It is getting overwhelming with our volunteers and our staff. So I'm telling you, one, two weeks ago I was in Dallas and I interviewed 32 people in one day for one position. And then after that I needed a Coke. I needed a monster or something. I'm telling you, it was a long day. But we need to hire a small groups pastor. We de I mean, we need to hire somebody who's going to be over the discipleship arm of our church. And in order for us to do that, in order to be able to get him here and pay for his moving expenses, to pay for his salary, and then for a computer and a, uh, a desk, we're talking about 40 grand. So, and that's 40 grand that we don't have budgeted. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. But, and Kim and I, we laid in bed last night and we talked about this. We're going to up our giving. We're going to go over and above because that's what I'm asking you to do. Some of you, um, if you're giving, I'm asking you to, you know, would you pray and would you consider giving more? Because, you know what, at one church, we don't give to buildings. There's a reason why we're all sweating profusely at Northeast High School. I know, if y'all are hot and miserable, I'm hot and miserable too. And we're talking about money, praise Jesus, right? I'm just telling you, I'm telling you. Um, I mean, there's a reason why we get here at 5 o'clock in the morning and we set all these environments up because we just don't want to sink money in land. One day we may have land in a building. That may be great. But you know what? We're focusing now on connecting God with people and we need more staff to be able to make that happen. So if you're giving, thank you. But I would encourage you to just, would you pray and consider about giving over and above? And on, your, on the you version, you can be able to commit to that. The second thing, if you're not giving anything or maybe you're giving 3%, would you consider bumping it to five? Would you consider trusting God for, you know, for seven? I had one person after the first service, and she came up to me, and I thought she was going to punch me because I was talking about money. And she says, Chris, I want to let you know what you're saying works. We, we, we weren't giving, and now we are. And I'm telling you, uh, just this week, and I hear me, I'm not saying this is going to happen every time. I don't want you to hear me on this. I'm just telling you what this person told me. He says, this week, we got a check in the mail, a huge check. We didn't even know where it came from. It's just God is working, and he will, all right? Sometimes he may not bless you financially. He may bless you relationally. I don't know how he will bless you, but I know my God is faithful. I know he is because he's been faithful to Kim and I. We have fought like cats and dogs for years about money, and I'm sure you have too. 
And it's only when we put God first, and we still have discussions. We do. All right, I won't lie to you. But I tell you, they're a whole lot fewer, aren't they? A whole lot fewer. Because I think there's something about putting God first. All right, I've talked enough questions. All right. Uh, all right. What do you do about debt that is owed from before your marriage? That's a great question. And I guess the thing I would encourage you to do is, if you know that before you got married, if she got a lot of debt, don't marry her. I'm joking. I didn't say that. I'm just joking. I'm joking. I, no, actually, um, no. I, I, Come on, dig your way out of that one. Come on, brother. Woo! Will Rogers once said, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. All right. <laughs> Um, no, actually, if you had debt before you had marriage, you need to conquer that debt together. And you don't need to say, well, that's your debt. You did that. No, no, no. You got married. The two is now one. It's y'all's debt. All right? It's not good English, but unless you're in the South. All right? All right, the next one is this. Um, what happens if your husband secretly buys video games? You can't get too upset since it's not drugs or alcohol, but what do you do? I'm just saying, all right? Now, you need to know this. I ain't a hater because haters love to hate. I love some MW3, all right? I'm a PS3 dude, all right? Let me tell you how it works in our marriage, all right? Because Kim has already shared with you, I used to be the spender. This may not work for you, but it works for me, okay? And it works for Kim and I. Um, at, at, every month, I get an allotment, all right? Um, I, I used to get $50 a month. I get $100 a month now. And I get $100 a month, and I can do whatever I want to do with that $100, right? Right. Whatever I want to do. I can't go double dip into the main account, but that $100 is my, and hear me, that gives me, and I can save up for stuff. I will save up those hundreds of dollars over a few months, and I'll buy an iPad. And that's okay, because I've saved, I've saved up over six, seven months, and I can do that. But I tell you, now that I got the 100 bucks and I want to go buy another MW3, and I know, I know that's $59.99. That's it, before tax, right? So I, so I, I weigh myself. So I, I don't know how it's going to work in your marriage. I would encourage you, um, if you've got a spender and a saver like Kim and I are, just give something, because if I don't have an allotment, I freak out. Like but, a cat on a hot tin roof. He's like, like Rare, I need to spend something. So anyway, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. And you know, sometimes if a, if, a, if a game shows up for the PlayStation, it is amazing how a new pair of shoes will just show up in my closet. You know, especially, especially on the BOGO ladies. You know what I'm saying? Buy one, get one half off. It's like, woo, two pairs for one. There you go. Somebody explain to me why we chose to do this together. I don't even remember. All right. I'm just joking with you. I do love you. Um, please let Ken know Mythbusters proved you get better gas mileage with AC on than when the wind is down. <laughs> By the way, I will reply. Thank you, Ken Stafford. <laughs> anyway, um, see, some of y'all, I got programmed in my phone. What's your take on bankruptcy? Wait a minute, I was going to oh, say, okay. I drive a Suburban. It's also known as a school bus. Uh, you know, so when you pull back out of the driveway and the needle has gone from full to half a tank, I'm conserving in every way I can, Ken. Hang in there with me, man. Anyway, <laughs> um, what's your take on bankruptcy? And, you know, I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know. I, 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 this is something I'm probably out there on a limb. Uh, I would encourage you, if there's any way you can, to not file bankruptcy. Um, the Bible does say in Romans 13, 8, that, it, you know, if you owe it, you need to pay it. I know there's, you can get so far behind that you need, uh, and I, again, we have people in our family, um, in our extended family who's done bankruptcy, and I'm not throwing stones at them. So, um, 
So, you know, I would, I would have you pray about that. You search the scriptures. Uh, maybe even to go to a financial counselor and ask them. I do know that, hear me, if you declare bankruptcy and you don't change what caused it in the first place, in five years you will be there again. You hear what I'm saying? Because you're just, what you're doing is you're lopping off the branches of the tree, but you're not attacking the root. Somebody's spending for a reason because of low self-esteem or because of whatever to try to get love something. you got to attack the real problem. Last question. I missed a couple of Sundays, but I've been wondering with something of this sermon series. What does the Bible say about a Christian marrying a non-Christian? Any tips of advice? Are we setting ourselves up for failure? Um, I can be, I'm going to be very direct with you. Yes, you are. Because the Bible is very clear on this. In fact, in, and I'm going to give you this for, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. It says, a, a, a follower, a Christian, a believer should not marry a non-believer. But he looks cute. I'm sorry, that wasn't in the Bible. But you don't know what his butt looks like in those jeans. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying, all right? I know it was inappropriate. All right. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what, how, how good she looks or how great she looks. Charm is deceptive and beauty doesn't last. But a woman who fears and reverences the Lord shall be greatly praised. That's what Proverbs chapter 31 says. So I would encourage you, let me tell you, it is like, it's not going to go well. It is not going to go well. And if you want to talk a little bit after this service, I don't mind talking with you more. But um, you guys need to have some hard conversations. And my mama always told me, um, you don't ever want to date anybody that you're not going to want to marry. So I would even put that, you know, Christians shouldn't even be dating a non-Christian. Now, here's the thing. You pray hard, you get them saved, and then there you go, baby. I'm just saying, all right? Because once you get married, if you wouldn't mind folding that up, once you get married, um, you're not going to be able to change him. You hear what I'm saying? You're not going to change her. You have to marry your spouse for who they are today. I think we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Exactly Mm -hmm. right.